Does anyone have any questions pertaining to the last few classes? So uh, this is Bhagavad Gita, class 26. Um, we'll try and cover verse 58 to 60 today. Just an uh, introduction. These next few verses we're covering today talks about how to control our desires. Very practical. Why do we have to control our desires? Why do we have to control our desires? Damesh, why do we have to control our desires? Because not all desires are suitable and need to be acted out. Not all desires are suitable for what? For our, for, for our internal journey to finding ourselves. Perfect. So we need to control our desires. Thank you, Damesh. Because not all desires are suitable for us on the spiritual path. Secondly, we said our true personality is that we are Brahman. We are the Atman, the self, God. But we're covered by this physical personality, our physical body, our mind, intellect. And we have forgotten the self. This is all we've covered 100 times. We have forgotten the self within us. Instead, we now merely identify with our physical personality. My physical body, my mind. I feel like this, I feel like that. I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of that. You never say, I am Brahman. We never say that. Why? Because we've forgotten. And throughout our life, all we're doing is using our physical personality, our body, mind, intellect, to fulfill desires in the world for our happiness. That's all we're doing. Everyone is doing that. No matter color, creed, poor, rich, powerful, doesn't matter. That's what everyone is doing. This is our life. Everyone else is in the world. So suddenly you come across this subject and it says, hang on. This isn't your purpose. Your purpose is this. And then it opens your eyes. It makes you look at the world and everyone in it differently. Makes you think, well, hang on, this guy's so rich, this guy's so powerful. Why is he still miserable? Why is he still unhappy? So now we have 
been learning this subject, some of you for so, some, quite some time. Hopefully you've realized that your mission in life is to become one with the self, Brahman, spiritual development. And how do we do that? Reducing our desires. That's the barrier between us and God, our true personality. And how do we reduce our desires? Anybody, how do we reduce our desires? We're going to learn today, but how do we reduce our desires? How can you reduce your desires? What helps you? Knowledge. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So knowledge, yeah, Benita. Knowledge of? The intellect. Intellect helps you, yes. But Ravi said knowledge. Not Ravi, knowledge of what? Knowledge of the higher, knowledge of the, um, the oneness. The oneness, knowledge of the self. So what the scriptures are saying, if you want to reduce your desires, if you realize this is the barrier between you and your true personality, then gain knowledge of the true personality. Gain knowledge of the self. And while you're gaining this knowledge, control and reduce your worldly desires using the intellect, as Venita says. One second, Kevo. So gain the knowledge of the self, develop the intellect, control your worldly desires. And that's it. And you walk on that path. It's like a bicycle, pedal. Gain knowledge, develop intellect, move forward spiritually. Okay, well. It's okay, you answered my question in, after you stopped me. <laughs> Thanks. No problem. So, as you do this, once you have reduced your, the bulk of your desires, the mind is relatively free from worldly desires. You've only got a few desires left. And one of those desires is to become one with the self. You turn your attention within. And then through the practice of meditation, you become one with the self. You become free of all worldly desires. You have now fulfilled your goal as a human being. And when you reach that state, the fourth state we say, Totally fulfilled and happy. So it sounds easy. <laughs> it sounds easy, doesn't it? <laughs> what is the biggest problem in achieving this? Anyone? What is the biggest hurdle? Our attachment to the world. Attachment to the world through our desires. And that's the hardest bit. And we're going to find out why is it so strong. So the next few verses we're covering explains why and how we are attracted to the world and how to overcome this dependency. How to overcome this dependency. Any questions? So this is, we've identified the hurdle. We've identified the problems. Attachment, desires, ignorance. Now, we learn how to overcome them. 
so in this topic, um, Arjuna has asked a question, Krishna, what is the characteristics, description of a God-realized person? And Krishna explains to Arjuna who is a self-realized person, what is his nature, his characteristics. Is everyone um, up to date with the last few verses or shall I quickly summarize? Summarize, okay. So verse 54, Arjuna asks Krishna, what is the characteristic description of a God-realized person? Stita Pragnya, which means a person with steady wisdom. Who is this person? Samadita, a person whose mind is absolute tranquility. Stitadihi, a person whose intellect is established in reality. These are the three definitions of a self-realized person. He's established in reality, therefore he's absolute tranquility, perfectly happy, and he's a steady wisdom. What is his nature, Arjuna asks? What's he like? How does he talk? How does he behave in this world? How does he sit? What's his inner personality like? What is going on inside of him? So verse 55, Krishna explains, a self-realized person is one who has completely destroyed all desires of the mind. We already know that. We've just said that. Zero desires. So a self-realized person is one who has destroyed his desires. And how does this happen? It comes when you revel in the self by the self, meaning gaining knowledge of the self. As you gain knowledge of the self, you reduce your desires. They naturally fall away. Any idea how this works? Why does knowledge of the self, the, the uh, effects of that is that your desires are reduced? Juanita? Because you're taking up, instead of the desires, you're taking up higher knowledge in that place. So you're thinking of something higher than the lower desires. Absolutely. All the desires of the world, they are replaced by desires of the self, which isn't part of the world. So automatically your focus is on something that isn't in the world. And if you are steadfast, you are strong-willed, strong-minded, then automatically your desires of the world fall away. You're faced with a desire. Is this going to take me to the self? No, you leave it. It depends how fixed your focus is. Does that make sense, Kevil? Let's say you have a desire for becoming wealthy. Is this desire gonna take, make me more money? Yes, okay, I'll do it, fulfill it. No, forget it, I don't want it. Why? Because your goal is to become wealthy. Simple. So this is how your intellect functions. Is this gonna take me closer to the self? Yes, let's fulfill it. Is going to the ashram for 10 days going to help me get closer to the self? Yes, because I'm going to gain knowledge of the self. Let's go. 
Is going to Bifa going to get me closer to the self? No, because it's a party place. It's going to take me away from the self. I don't want to go. That's, this is how it works. You become free of all desires as you're established 100% in the self. So this, is, this state is one with steady wisdom. And as Dharma said, to take on something higher, to become free from lower desires, you take up higher knowledge. And this is the highest. Any questions? Verse 56. How does a self-realized person sit? Arjuna asks, which means what is going on within him? What is his inner personality like? Krishna says, a person who's not agitated by joy and sorrow. Self-realized person is not agitated by joy and sorrow. Meaning he's not affected by the pairs of opposites. His mind is always calm, no fluctuations, no agitations. The weather's good, he's happy. The weather's bad, he's happy. It doesn't change. This person feels joy and sorrow. He feels emotions, but they're not affected by these emotions. They don't become emotional. Because when you become emotional, you lose control of your personality. You can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't think straight. See a person close to you dies. What is the state of that the person's partner? They can't eat, they can't drink. Completely emotional. We're not saying it's right or wrong, but you lose all control of your personality. So a person who has reached perfection is in a state of mental equanimity, meaning it's always balanced. This person is a sage of steady wisdom. Any questions on that? Okay. Number 57, it said, how does a man of perfection walk? Meaning, how does he contact the external world? Krishna says, a man of perfection is dynamic in his action, in everything he does. And whilst he's acting dynamically in the world, he does not develop any attachments to any objects or beings. He just does what he needs to do. Do his duty, his obligatory duty. Attachments produce suffering and sorrow. We get mentally affected to whatever we're attached by, too. How can you overcome attachment? You understand when you're attached, you get affected mentally. Any idea? Yeah, Venita? You have to understand that each individual will have their own vasanas and their own character, and you can't really change that about them and accept who they are. Yeah. The world is what it is. The person is what he is, his vasanas. But we relate 
wrongly with this. We have the wrong relationship. We expect the world to be something it isn't. We expect the person to be something they're not. I'm always giving. Why do they not give? Why are they so selfish? Because they're a selfish person. You have to accept them for that. That's their nature. You can't change them. If you don't learn to relate to them correctly and you're affected, it's your fault. Not that person's fault. They're acting normally. Any, anybody getting married, understand. Your partner has their own nature. You have to learn, understand, and then relate to them. Then you have a happy marriage. If you don't, you're asking for problems. And whose fault? Your fault. Learn and understand this. So a man of perfection is unaffected by external events in the world, by the pairs of opposites. He's not dependent on the world for his happiness. He's reveling in the self. He knows this world is an illusion. Any questions? So, you have a question? Yeah. You, you, you asked the question, how do we control our attachment or how do we, mm. by understanding somebody's vasana doesn't necessarily reduce my attachment to that individual. Mm -hmm. so, so you asked the question, how do we reduce our attachment? Mm -hmm. I might understand somebody's nature, but that doesn't mean I'll be less attached to them. So, do you reduce your attachment? How do you reduce? Getting knowledge of what the world is and what this person is, okay? And having that understanding that they are always changing. Yeah? Understanding that, and also understanding that due to your attachment, the only person who's going to suffer is yourself. So why do you want to be attached to that person? If all it's going to do is cause suffering. You have certain expectations. They're not met. You're suffering because of that, because of your attachment. Attachment equals suffering and sorrow. If you understand that through this subject, through this knowledge, would you not reduce attachment? How do you do that? Through knowledge, knowledge and understanding. So is it, is it, have an expectation for yeah. them to behave in the way that you feel is right. Can you hear her, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's that level of attachment. But then there's the level of attachment of being affected if anything happens to that individual. Mm -hmm. So for a mother to be saying that, you know, you shouldn't be attached to your child mm -hmm. is almost, well, yeah, you know, it's not necessarily being attached to their behaviour, but, but physically a mother would be attached to their child. Uh, uh, a wife, I'm assuming, would be attached to her husband. You know, a father would be attached to their child. There's that attachment that I think is... So, the, th what's the difference here? Anybody? What's she trying to... What's Sil trying to say? Yeah, Ravi. Um, 
what Shittal Ben just saying, I mean, I think that's what I originally had challenging, like, you know, being, a, you know, attachment to your people closest to you, then I think what answered it was that, yes, you relinquish the attachment that mm -hmm. basically makes you unhappy, so you understand their nature, but as a person or as a, you still have to fulfill your obligation as a father, as a husband and so forth. So I, I believe it's quite close to attachment. So you're detached from the emotion, but you're still fulfilling your obligation by guiding them, by advising them, but you're not affected by that. Am I right? You're absolutely right. What is the, op what is the opposite of attachment? What's the opposite of attachment? Unattachment. Attachment. Detachment. Detachment. What about love? Where does love come in? It's preferential. It may be for you. Universal love. You love that person no matter what. You love your son no matter what his vastness are, how he behaves. You love your partner. You love everyone in the world. When you're attached, whatever happens to that person being object happens to you. That's the difference between attachment and love. I rather you love than be attached. And to learn how to love, you need knowledge. So when you love somebody, then that's not preferential, that's universal. You love them for who they are. That's the difference. So if you understand their vasanas, this person is an angry person, selfish person, but I love them because that's their vasanas. That's their nature. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're attached, every time they're angry, you start arguing with them. Why are you angry? Why are you being selfish? That's their nature. It's not your fault you, that you're not educated enough to understand it. And this is where everything, well, this is where all the quarrels come in. You expect the person, object, being to be something they're not. And because they don't, they don't come to your level. Because you're unselfish, they should be unselfish. You're calm, they should be calm. Who gets affected? You do, because of your attachment. When you love somebody, you love them for who they are, what they are, how they are. That's the difference. And how do you get that level of understanding? Through knowledge. Through knowledge of the difference between the two. And how do you love? By understanding everyone is Brahman. Everyone is Atman. What's in me is in them. If I love myself, then I have to love everybody else. Is that okay, Ravi? Does that answer your question? Does that clarify? So reducing attachment for knowledge. Okay, so we're gonna start verse 58. Yada samharate chayam Gurmogani vasarvasaha Indriyan indriyate bias Dasya prajna pratishtita Yada samharate chayam Gurmogani vasarvasaha 
Indriya-nindriya-thebhyas-tasya-prajna-pratishtita. When, like the tortoise, drawing in its limbs on all sides, he withdraws his senses from sense objects, then his wisdom is established. So, when, like the tortoise drawing in its limbs on all sides, he withdraws his senses from sense objects, then his wisdom is established. Sense objects, desires. So in this verse, Krishna answers Arjuna's fourth question, how does he speak? Speech is one of the five organs of action. What are the five organs of action? Five organs of action. Speech, smell, touch, sight, hearing, ears. Those are the five organs of action. So now we're talking about speech. But when he's talking speech, he's talking about all five. Yes, we refer to it as all five. Meaning, how does a self-realized person speak? Means, how does he act? How does he behave in the world with his organs of action? How does he see? How does he hear? How does he smell? Remember, we contact the world with our five organs of action and our mind. So here... A man of perf perfection is compared to a tortoise. What does a tortoise do when he comes across danger? What does he do? He draws his limbs inside, his head inside, his tail inside, and all he sees is the shell. As soon as he comes across danger, he takes it all in. Feet, tail, head, all goes in his heart shell to protect himself from danger. Does every, everyone knows that, correct? Great. So he's saying, similarly, a man of perfection, when he contacts the world, what danger must he be aware of? Anyone? What should he be aware of? Attachment. Attachment. Desires. Sense contacts. What drives us is our sense contacts. We contact the world with our senses. The world is like a magnet. It pulls you in with its attractions. Disneyland, movies, restaurants, perfume, everything, it attracts you to the world. And the sense organs are like a big lump of iron, attracted to the world. When you hold a magnet and a lump of iron, what happens? Strong pull, yeah? It's, you can't take it apart. So a tortoise, when it comes across danger, it protects itself by taking everything in. We're on the spiritual path. We go out. All our senses are attracted to the world. How difficult it is. Tortoise has a shell. What do we have to control our... Sense contacts. 
Yeah, Dermis? Our intellect. Intellect. Intellect says, as we said earlier, no, this isn't for me. I'm on the spiritual path. So a self-realized person does not contact the world indiscriminately, without thinking. Just like the tortoise has his shell, he has his intellect, always tuned to the self. When his five senses and mind attracted to the world, the intellect kicks in immediately to examine, guide the mind. This protects him against the world. It protects him against his worldly temptations. He becomes a master of his senses. Who can say they're master of their senses here? None of us. None of us can say. Anyone spiritually undeveloped, you, you understand. You're attracted to the world. We're completely victimized our whole life by our senses. Think about it. After this class, we'll be saying, what shall we eat? What shall we watch? Where shall we go? Whole life is controlled in this way. All we're doing is chasing, 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 fulfilling desires, craving for more and more. We know nothing else. This is what we're saying, because we have no control. And this eventually destroys ourselves. It destroys us. This is the danger. Tortoise can put his hands and everything, his limbs in, inside. We don't have that. We're a victim of our senses. See, if you, in England, in, uh, you've all heard of the seven deadly sins. Uh, what does that mean, seven deadly sins? Sense contacts. What is the seven deadly sins? Does anyone know? Pride, mind, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, meaning overeating, wrath, anger, sloth, laziness. This is all our desires. And they call Deadly sins because it destroys us. If you're not careful, they will destroy you. Any questions? Our five senses, five organs of action attracted to the world, the world, beautiful place, pulls you in. And what are we trying to do? get out of the world. See how difficult it is. Ravi. This verse answers the last of Arjuna's four questions. How does he speak? Speech represents all five organs of action. Therefore, the question really means, how does he act? How does he conduct himself in the world? The verse compares his mode of action to that of a tortoise. A tortoise carries a hard shell on his body, always exposed to the sky above. While the body contacts the earth with its four legs, head and tail, 
It moves about very carefully, sure of every step it takes. But at the slightest threat of danger, it quickly withdraws these six protrusions under the protection of its hard shell. Thus, it remains well fortified against <clears throat> external threats. One of steady wisdom also has six means of contacting the world. The five sense organs, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and skin, and the mind. His intellect stays ever attuned to the self above. Whenever he finds his senses or mind drawn to worldly enchantments, he quickly brings them under the scrutiny of the intellect. This automatic withdrawal at the sight of danger thoroughly protects him against the onslaughts of worldly temptation. He remains an unaffected master of any situation and environment. On the contrary, most people allow the sense organs to run freely after the world of objects and beings. They allow the mind to crave for everything it contacts. They madly chase those desires, never bringing the senses and mind under the guidance and control of the intellect. Their desires quickly grow insatiable. Consequently, they yield to the enchantments of this world and destroy themselves. This is how we function. And if we're not careful, these temptations can destroy us. Any, any example of where these temptations can destroy us? Sense organ, sense contact. It's going to be covered in the next few verses. Any idea? I just want you to think. A situation. Think about it. You, alcohol, for example, food, you overeat, what happens? Alcohol, you overdrink regularly, what happens? Addiction, drugs, what happens? You finished, if you get too deep into it. So these things, if you are not careful, it can kill you. Even attachment can kill you, attached to your partner. Partner can't stand the sight of you. What happens? People commit suicide. See, these are simple things. If you're not in control, it can destroy you. So it's very important. The mind can ask for anything, can get attached to anything, and he has no limits. Any questions? So we have to control ourselves. We have to control it. I'm not saying any of you here are like that, but you see this in the papers every day. They have no control. Verse 59. Visaya vinivartante. 
The sense objects turn away from an abstinent man, but not the relish. Even his relish turns away on seeing the Supreme. It just, it just highlights how strong these senses are. This saying, verse 58 said, when you come across a desire, you have to be careful, try to refrain from fulfilling it. But it's so difficult, it's like impossible. And another thing is, the way the world functions is that whenever a person has a desire, you have a desire for something, for sense object, it will come to you. It'll be available to you. You'll come to your environment. This is the law of supply and demand. When you want something, it comes in your environment. You know how you Google something, yes? I don't know, a new microwave, yeah? No matter what website you go, there's a, there's a, a, a sale of a microwave. Buy a new microwave. This is a new latest version. We can do it cheaper. It comes in your, no matter what page you're on, it comes there, isn't it? Same way. If your desire for something, it'll come to you in the world in some form or another. This is the law of supply and demand. Give you an example. Anybody have an example? You want to go on holiday, Spain, whatever, Turkey, whatever. You'll see all these, wherever you go, you'll see adverts for Turkey, for Spain. How does that happen? Yeah, Thomas. They're there anyway, but you weren't focusing on it. Absolutely. Now you're focusing on it. It comes, it comes to you. It comes to you. It's law of supply and demand. Example, you fancy a mango, Alfonso mango. Yeah, what happens? Because of your desire of an Alfonso mango, yeah. A farmer in India plants a mango seed. Think about this. After a few years, it grows into a tree. Then the tree bears fruit. Nice, big Alfonso mangoes. He then picks them. When they're ready, best of the crop is packaged for export, sent to UK, because this is the biggest demand. The land in the UK, majority of them are bought by who? Anyone? Shops in Wembley and Kenton. Why? Gujus live in this area. Biggest, highest demand, desires for mango in these two areas. You go and pick up a few boxes, eat at your heart's content. Now, if there wasn't a demand, would there be a supply? This is how it works. Supply and demand. Where some farmer, middle of nowhere, to Kenton Harrow, you pick up a few boxes. 
So what this verse is saying, you're now on a spiritual path. You're controlling your desires. You're able to control your desires. Is this going to take me to self? No, leave it. Is this going to take me to self? Yes, I'll go for it. You have a strong craving for mango. You realize, doctor says, you can't have, eat any more mangoes. Your diabetes, diabetic, whatever. You try to abstain from mangoes. But your desires are there. But you realize you have to abstain from mangoes. It's detrimental to your health, bad for you. It's not easy. You can't control it. But with the help of your family, you control. No more mangoes. Don't bring any more mangoes in the house. Yeah, she's not allowed to eat it. Nikisha, you're not allowed to eat no more mangoes. Yeah, so your parents don't bring any. Nobody gives you any mangoes. You overcome the desire for mangoes. It's not going to happen overnight, but you'll overcome it. What this verse is saying, that if you try to overcome your desire for mangoes, the universe will help you. It won't be available to you. People will help you around you to abstain from that. You'll be able to control it eventually by taking on higher values, knowledge of the self. You'll overcome your desire. But the taste, the relish will not go away. The mind will still say, mango, even though you're abstaining from it. The taste will not go away, he says. This verse says. The only time that will go is when you become self-realized. That's how difficult it is. The taste, the relish may still linger. You still have that feeling, oh, I wish I can eat just one more mango. But when you become self-realized, even that will go away. This is what it's saying. So therefore, you can control it. You can abstain from it, but the relish will never go. Any questions? So what it means is that when you're on the spiritual path, you're controlling your desires. You're abstaining from things, sense context. That thought will still be there. You're in control of it, but that thought will never go away. The taste will never go away. The relish. So don't think it will, because it won't. Because you're, we're, we're geared up to be like that. The mind is like that. And you have to live with your mind. Any questions? So you have to think about this one. So let's read the paragraph first. Benita, nice and slowly. The previous verse spoke about withdrawing the senses and the mind whenever temptations of the world threaten a person. But the world remains enchanting. Temptations never cease. Thus, if withdrawal is the only solution, one would be forced to permanently withdraw from his senses and mind from the world. Such an approach to life appears highly negative. It also seems 
an impractical remedy to actually employ. As long as a person desires sense objects and indulges in them, the objects will appear in his environment. But when he abstains from these sense objects in a sincere effort to gain mastery over them, and the object and the, then the objects will not come and tempt him. This endorses the practical law of supply and demand. Your demands attract objects towards you. Whenever there is a demand, there will be a supply. Start learning the higher value of life. Abstain from sensual indulgences. The sense objects will leave you alone, but the relish, the taste for them, may linger. The relish will also disappear when you reach the supreme state of realization. Thank you. Now, one thing, we're not saying you should abstain from everything. Yes, life would be boring. Enjoy life. The world is an attractive place. You have five organs of action to contact the world and enjoy it. But the word, key word here, is sensual indulgences. That's the problem. When you indulge, today I'll have six mangoes. How many you got left? Tomorrow, oh, they're going to go right. Tomorrow, I'll have another five. Indulgence. Yeah. You have one a day, not a problem. You enjoy it. So it's not saying abstain. It's very, very difficult. But being in control of it, this is what it means. Otherwise, you guys are going to say, you know what, this class is... My life is so boring now. I can't cut, I can't eat anything. I can't go nowhere. I can't see nothing. I can't touch nothing. What am I supposed to do? Become a hermit? <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that. Be the master of your senses. Be in control. You decide what's right, what's wrong, how much, etc., etc. That's what it means. Enjoy life to the fullest. So don't misunderstand. Any questions on that? Sil, there's a question. This, this thing about relish yeah. that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, Just a bit louder. So, so I, I may be able to control my mind not to do something. Yeah, but the relish will still be there. Does vasanas come in play with the relish, do you think? Or I'm assuming if I have a strong vasana for mangoes, for example, I may think that for my own health, I'm going to control that. Yeah. But is it because I've got such a strong vasana for mangoes, yeah. the relish will remain? Yeah. See, for example, if the doctor says you're diabetic, you can't eat any more sweet, mangoes are sweet, they're detrimental to your diabetes, yeah? Lose, you lose control. You can, you're able to control it because you value your health more than the taste of mangoes. So you're able to control it. Yeah, I don't want to be sick. I don't want to go into hospital. I don't want to be ill. I need to control my diabetes. So you overcome that desire for mangoes. But the taste, the relish will be there. The desire is the vasanas is still there for mangoes. All you're doing is you're able to control it because there is something greater that is a, you have a greater desire for your health. A person who doesn't have a desire for their health will succumb to it and not bother and carry on eating whatever he wants to eat without worrying, oh, whatever, 
Whatever happens, happens. Let me just enjoy myself. That's the opposite. But just the fact that you're controlling it doesn't mean, oh, I wish I can have one. I can taste it in my mouth. The relish is still there. But you're able to say, okay, after 10 seconds, forget about it. I'm going to be good. You may have a slice, nothing wrong with that. This is what we're saying. Have a slice of mango where you normally have three full ones. You have a slice. <laughs> she knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Any questions? Yeah, maybe. Shamila wants to know, obviously we've got to um, clear our desires and relinquish them effectively or overcome them. But if you still relish, the desire is still present, is it not? The desire may be there, but you're able to control it because you have a higher desire for health, spiritual development, etc. Temptations will always be there because the world, as you said, is like a magnet. Your five sense contacts are attracted to that world. But if you realize it's detrimental to me, then your intellect is able to control it because you understand. It's unhealthy for me. It's bad for me. It's wrong for me. Therefore, I should not do it, even though the desires popped up. You see the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Is that all right, Shamila? Yeah. Thank you. The desires will still be there. But if you don't control it, it says it can be detrimental. It can be detrimental. Uncontrolled desires. Where do you stop? When do you stop? Somebody has to say enough is enough. Shamila, do you have another clarification? <laughs> yes, yeah, she does. She goes, well, how do you then relinquish your desires or get rid of it if the desire is still present? You replace it with a desire for something higher. You replace your desire for mangoes, which are detrimental to you, for a desire for long liberty of life, long liberty of health, which is a higher desire. If you don't have that higher desire, then you will carry on eating and damage your health. So you replace with a higher desire. Highest desire is knowledge of the self. That gets rid of all desires of the world. So slowly, slowly taking on, taking on higher knowledge and taking on higher knowledge of life, higher knowledge of health whatever that desire is, you ask yourself, do I need to fulfill this? Where is it gonna take me? Is it gonna take me to the self? No. Is it gonna take me to become a healthier person? No. Then you answer the question yourself. For that, you need to develop your intellect. Yeah, I think she understood that. I saved two handbag shopping trips. <laughs> no, you can look, you can pay me later, yeah? <laughs> So it's all down to you. you know, it doesn't matter what it does. You don't have to have spiritual knowledge, even general. You know, you know what's right and wrong. 
We all know what's right and wrong, but are we able to control what's right and wrong? This is the problem. You know, if I know I've got a class this morning and somebody calls me for a party the night before, yeah, it's till, till two o'clock. It'd be wrong of me to stay till two o'clock. If I've got a class in the morning, it's detrimental to me. Yeah, what's higher? Okay, I've got people coming to the class. I owe it to them to make sure that I give my 100%. I need to be in bed by 9.30. Nothing should come in my way. So you understand the higher values. You understand what's right and what's wrong. You know that. I don't, you don't need me to tell you. Any further questions? So this is all about desires. The next verse, which is quite long, so we're not going to cover it now. So we still. But it talks, let me explain what it says. Visvamitra, a highly developed sage living in solitude, in a cave, controlling all his desires for a great long time. Meditating in the jungle, the gods went to test him and sent a heavenly temptress, Meneka, to entice him with the dance. We have to imagine that. For years of severe austerity, he fell under her enchantment. Now imagine a sage who's given up so much so spiritually strong, all it took was a lady to dance in front of his cave and he, no control. So what we're saying is that it's not easy. It's very, very difficult. This is what they're saying. One step at a time. One step at a time, Sharmila. <laughs> One step at a time. And sometimes you might not be able to do it. That's fine, it's okay, you tried. Next time you try a little bit harder. That's all it is. Yeah, just keep trying, that's all it means. You know, even if you're able to control one desire, that's better than, no, than just indulging in all of them, isn't it? Just one desire. Kevil, is that okay? Right. Any other questions? Okay, well, we'll cover verse 60 next week. And then it covers the next few verses. It talks about how, how you, if you don't have a developed intellect, how it can cause total destruction of your life and your personality. See, so it explains so much in detail, every little thing about your life. And these sages knew thousands of years ago how a human being functions. That's why they're able to tell us, explain to us. You won't, we won't find this anywhere else. None of the Western scriptures will teach you this. Spiritual knowledge originates from India. I read somewhere, the English came and stole millions 
gold, jewelry, everything, diamonds, but they didn't take what was the most strongest and powerful that India had, which was spiritual knowledge. That they left behind. Look where they are now. Yeah, Ravi. I was just going to say when you said maybe Western um, spiritual literature doesn't cover it, but reading quite a few recently sort of top best-selling self-help books. Now, when I've been reading them, everything reverts back to this knowledge. And it just makes you think that we've had it all the time and it's being presented to us from a Western perspective. And, you know, it just, yeah, I've read about three books recently and everything just comes back to this and it's understanding, well, where did they get that from? They obviously got it from somewhere, you know, the understanding and we've already had it here. We've had it, but we don't know the value of it. You need a you need an Englishman or American to write a book who's famous and you know is on TV to tell you a verse from the Bhagavad Gita. And, wow, this guy's amazing. Come to my elect class, three hundred pounds per session. Yeah, it's worth it. It's here. <laughs> and Anthony Robbins and all these people, you Deepak Chopra, it all originates from here. All they've done is repackaged it. That's all they've done. But this is the original knowledge. But the problem is we can't understand it. You know, we're, we're not developed enough to understand it. And it's thousands of years old. You need someone to explain it. And this is the problem, that explanation. And they've filled that gap to explain it in a worldly way. Do you want to be rich? Do you want to be famous? Learn this. But none of them are saying, do you want to be developed spiritually? They're not saying it that. Because they'll have nobody there. <laughs> you won't be sold out. So it depends on your goal in life, basically. This is what we're saying. But ultimately, we all want happiness, peace, and a nice life. This knowledge will help you achieve that. Is that all right, Ruby? Yeah, no. Yeah. Even the Greek philosophy comes from this. We don't know the value of our own scriptures. This is the problem. Upanishads is the highest knowledge known to man. One day we may cover it. Okay, everyone have a great Sunday and we'll see you next week. Thank you.